0: hello and welcome to the welsh rugby podcast just a massive thank you to whoever you are listening to this before we start just to remind you that we do this podcast two three times a week but we don't always know which days it's going to be on so there's only one way to know and that is to subscribe and get notifications why not drop us a review while you're there right enough about that let's talk some rugby I'm Ben James, I'm joined by a very special guest on the podcast today, Eleanor Snowsill, Wales barbarians, Bristol and ospreys. I was going to say dragons there, I'm going <laughs> mad. Of course the ospreys. Um, how you doing Eleanor?
1: Yeah, good thanks.
0: G- good sign I've done my research, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, to be fair to you, I did used to play for dragons and only this season I've swapped over to the ospreys, so that's a very easy mistake to make.
0: I've only had about six, seven months to, to get it right. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what we're saying. Um so yeah, let's, um, let's kick off then talking about the Six Nations so far. We're two rounds in. Um, I suppose not an ideal start for Wales women, obviously two defeats.
1: Yeah, no, we're pretty disappointed with the start in terms of results. Um, you know, lost by a try against Italy, and that's one that we really felt that we should have won. Um, we ended up defending for most of the game, but I think we're just not quite taking the chances. We're like playing some really nice rugby in parts, and... Um, just not finishing off the tries and then we're ending up defending for most of the games and, and the same happened against Ireland. We had a great opening in 15 minutes where we just dominated possession and territory but didn't get any points from it and then, you know, and then we end up defending and when you defend for sort of, you know, 50, 60, 60% of the game, um, it's going to be quite attritional in terms of tries. So, yeah.
0: Because that was a strike. Obviously, I was <laughs> stuck in Dublin Airport watching, yeah. watching that game on my phone and as we spoke about earlier you know you can't really tell sort of how bad the rain was in Donnybrook but especially because you know both teams were, were looking to play good good rugby in those conditions which is incredible when any time the ball went out of play everyone's shaking their hands off relentlessly.
1: Yeah I think considering the conditions standard was still pretty good to be fair like you said both teams were looking to move the ball wide and offload and everything and and it was a good game of rugby to watch um but, uh, you know, obviously unfortunate for us, but fair play to the girls playing in those conditions. Like it was, I've heard it was horrendous and they were so cold. I think at one point the ref even stopped to ask, you know, do we continue play on like 52 minutes in? <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, when i saw the sort of some of the videos on on twitter i thought there's no way this game reaches reaches the end but it did
1: yeah no i didn't think it would either i was watching um with claire malloy she used to play seven for island she's taken the sabbatical this year and she's working in cardiff so we both thought oh we'll meet up and uh, watch the game together and we were like oh is this game going to carry on you just got to go to 60 for the score to stand and yeah so intense and exciting but yeah disappointing at the end of it
0: so so you Missed out on that, which is probably probably a blessing rather than a curse in terms of the weather. But it's, I suppose, it's been a frustrating start for you, obviously missing out on the start of the Six Nations through injury.
1: Yeah, it is frustrating. I think I've been really, really lucky in my career to have not had any serious injuries up to this point. um And then I come to start of December, and I almost dislocated my hip, <laughs> so it's a bit of a tricky one. um Hips are quite niggly to sort of come back from. Um, I am back to running and sidestepping and stuff and, you know, hopefully might make some appearance in the Six Nations, but you never know. You know, I, I have to get back to full fitness first before I'm in contention then for the squad. Well,
0: what's the rehab like on that? Because obviously with it with the, like a broken arm, broken leg or something like that, it's <laughs> like, you know, stick it in a cast, yeah, in, very- in a moon boot with a hip, it's... It's right difficult. there on the side isn't yeah
1: it? especially because the first two weeks i didn't really know the extent of the damage so i was like walking everywhere thinking i can be back playing in two weeks time <laughs> um, and then i had it scanned and they were like okay you need to go off feet um so yeah it was off feet for a bit just to let it recover um and just to let the bone heal um and then a lot of glute activation glute strengthening core strengthening you just sort of try to strengthen all the areas around it um And then for the last few weeks, been back into running, trying to get my running load up again to get back to some sort of fitness.
0: And we can maybe expect you back before the end of the Six Nations?
1: Well, we'll see. Obviously, you know, it's one thing getting back fit and then it's another thing getting selected. So um, who knows? Hopefully. We'll
0: see. Tagged in maybe the Alms Park game rather than the Twickenham (laughs) Stoop.
1: That would be a savage game back, wouldn't it? Against one of the best teams in the world. Um, No, do you know what? I think fair play to the girls they are putting in a great shift in terms especially defensively um so it's just little tweaks that we need to make and you know if it all clicks um we are going to look like a you know we will we'll put in some really great performances so um obviously our end goal is the is the next world cup in 18 months time so um yeah we're just working towards that really
0: so obviously these next two rounds are the real sort of litmus sort of test of six nations women's rugby because obviously France semi-professional then you've got England who are the professional team so these are the ones really where you sort of really test yourself
1: well these are the ones um, yeah these are the tricky ones really but you know what I think um, especially as Wales we always play better when we're the underdogs and you know you have to rise to the standard that you're playing against Um, both teams are incredible teams Um, you know um, very very strong teams Um, but last year Italy beat France um, you know, France don't travel as well. They're quite similar to the men. They they don't play as well away from home as they do at home. So, you know, there's there is a chance there. And I think if everything we've been doing over the last couple of months comes together, there's no reason why we can't sort of um reflect the score that, you know, what happened with Italy last year.
0: What's the mood been like in camp? Obviously, uh the coaching situation has changed slightly. Um I don't know. We probably won't touch on that too much. Um But, you know, obviously you've got a a, a new man sort of in temporary charge at the minute. Um, There's a lot of new faces because, as you say, you're building towards the World Cup. Uh, what, what, What is the mood like in camp?
1: Yeah. So Chris has been with us since the start of the autumns. Um, so, you know, he's, he's had five games um, in charge of us and and now starting the Six Nations as well. So it's not like it's a brand new person coming in for the start of the Six Nations. You know, we've had time to settle in and get used to how he likes coaching. We've also then got Geraint Lewis who's come in and then Gareth White as a backs coach who's, you know, been there for a few years. So I think that, you know, the, the mood in the camp, we were really positive after the autumns. Um, you know, we were really happy with how we did. Um, And then it's just a tough one, isn't it? Because I think we had quite high expectations of ourselves after the autumns and and rightly so because we got a couple of decent results there. Um, And then it just didn't quite come through for us against Italy and Ireland. But if you take a step back and reflect, you know, both of those teams are fighting for something a lot more. They're aiming to peak this summer because they've got World Cup qualifications. So, you know, they're on a slightly different trajectory to to us. Um, We've already qualified for the next World Cup. So for us, it's about building towards peaking at the next World Cup. So I think, you know, if you take that into consideration, um, but obviously we're all competitors and we are, you know, disappointed. We, we play to win don't we so um but we're also a tight-knit squad so you know we'll bounce back from it and and go into france and you know really give them for what we've got
0: <laughs> indeed at the arms park which has become obviously a home in the last few years and that, that's been massive hasn't it for, for the women's team having a permanent home
1: yeah we love playing at the cardiff arms park um i think first of all it's a it's a great service it's a great facility um but most importantly it's, it's local like it's local to cardiff um the away traveling fans can watch, you know, the men if they're playing on the Saturday and then stay around and watch us on the Sunday and they don't, you know, it's all in the same place. Um, I think that's really important for us. Um, and, and also just getting those crowds down, like it makes such a difference to us on the pitch. If you have, a, you know, a really loud vocal crowd, um, it just lifts you and I think playing against France there next weekend I think it's going to be a great game it's 12 o'clock kick-off um, on the Sunday I'm going to be down there I think um, hopefully some of my School of Adnock's um, participants will come along and, and watch as well but um, yeah it, it does really make a difference and it's a great way to spend a Sunday I
0: was wondering whether they'd be bringing it because you brought them to the Italy game didn't you I saw that on Instagram and all that and this it's like the perfect sort of uh, environment for them isn't it like something like the arms park on a, on a Sunday
1: yeah, I'm really lucky. The WIU gave us some tickets. Um, I think I had, I had, ten or twenty tickets to give out, um, and you know, all the girls jumped on that chance. Um, you know, a lot of them sometimes struggle to sort of afford stuff like that. They come from maybe difficult backgrounds, so it, it made such a difference opening up, um, you know, that game and that opportunity to to all people and all, all the kids that I work with. And they came along, and genuinely, they were so excited. They were literally like bouncing in their seats watching the game. You know, some of them had some really funny questions for me, like, um, you know, didn't call the conversion a cucumber. Thought it thought it was a cucumber, <laughs> you know, just like and it's sort of I don't know, it brings back the joy of rugby. And I think when you play international, you know, for quite a while, sometimes you get bogged down under the pressure of it and, yeah. you know, the seriousness seriousness of it. But when you sat there watching it with thirteen, fourteen year olds who are discovering the sport for the first time and just like falling in love with it. Yeah it really, um, it's like, it's
0: like seeing it new again, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. It's seeing it new and it's like taking you back to why you first sort of got into the sport and it's really inspiring and, um, a lot of the girls who came along are really, really talented, um, and I think quite a few of them have have a good chance. You know, if they keep on going, to potentially play for the country sometime. So, you know, if you can ignite that love for it now and give them some role models, you know, they all had pictures with some of the girls after the games and put it all over their social media. You know, just loving it. So, yeah, it's great, and you know, really thankful for the opportunity for the WIU to give us a ticket, and and hopefully we'll have something similar for the next game.
0: Let's talk about the uh, the school of hard knocks then, because. You know, you talk about finding the love of the game, that's what I sort of discovered when I sort of followed him around a couple of years ago. It, it, you know, you are sort of viewing people seeing rugby for the first time and sort of seeing what a transformative sport it can be for their for their whole lives. How, how did you come about to, to being involved in the charity?
1: Yeah, well, um, I was just really lucky. Sort of our team manager put a, a request into a couple of girls, does anyone want to get involved in this charity? They want a female to come down and coach one day a week. And I jumped on the chance because it literally combines everything I love into one. Like I really love working with challenging behavior, uh, teenagers, um, but also through rugby. It was like my perfect job. Um, and so, I you know, I got involved that way and just gradually built up to the point where I'm full-time now for them. Um, and I'm just really lucky because like, I literally, like, I wouldn't do something if I didn't love doing it, and I'm so lucky that I, you know, can get paid for that. Um, but as as a as a charity, I think what we what rugby does so well for us is is it's just got that extra, you know. Obviously, it's a team sport, and you've got to rely on each other. It teaches you discipline. You've, you you know, have huge respect for the refs and sort of respect for authority. But that physicality, that edge of sort of, you know, I'm I'm going to put my body on the line for you, just brings a different. I don't know it just brings something out in in the people that we work with and it really gets the best out of them and I think a lot of the kids and adults that we work with sometimes are not equipped with the ways of dealing with their emotions and will maybe resort to fighting rugby just literally gives you that outlet you know you can put in a you know you you fight you get kicked out of school or or whatever but you put in a massive tackle on the pitch which is very similar and you get sort of applauded for it. And you know, that just seeing that little switch in the kids' sort of mentalities of realizing actually, I can do what I love, I can get all my aggression out, and someone says well done to me at the end of it. You know? And I think that's why it's so successful, is is because of the rugby.
0: Obviously the rugby stuff comes naturally, too, but what was the the other side of it quite a, a steep learning curve? Because you know, there's all the sort of like the social side, like effects of it and all all that working in schools
1: yeah i I had a bit of experience so I worked as a learning support assistant in Plasmaud when I first came back from uni um i then also worked in flly um setting up a a project for for the kids where there was no room in the p i u unit firm um so I have worked with challenging behavior before um and that, for me, was the real eye-opener. I remember coming home from work every day, I obviously travelling back from Plinetti to Cardiff, and I literally didn't have any energy to even speak. I'd come home and go and nap for two hours, and then I'd be able to function and go off to training. Um, so uh, after that, I did my PGC as well, and, and I think that really helped me in how to structure sessions. Because um, we don't just do rugby, we do personal development as well. So every time we do rugby, before that, we've done an hour or 45 minutes in the classroom, and that's kind of looking at the things that maybe they're not going to learn in lessons. So it could be about, you know, what does respect actually look like? Body image, body confidence, um, social media safety. That's a big one at the minute that we're just sort of trying to touch on. Um, you know, there's there's loads of stuff that we do. I actually even taught... Um, <laughs> two weeks ago, decided to teach transactional analysis to our kids, which sounds really complex, but basically it's just, I pitched it to them of how to win arguments. (laughs) So, you know, just trying to get them to communicate better and more effectively rather than communicating quite, you know, in a stroppy way and and that. It's just how to sort of communicate properly. And I think if you can communicate with people, it'll get you a long way in life.
0: So do you see this now being your long-term future, doing this?
1: uh definitely for the next few years um you know i'm really happy where i am at the minute um i am quite ambitious um i have two end goals right so my one end goal is i'd like to set up some sort of either academy or private boarding school or something where you know the types of kids that i'm working with now kids from maybe disadvantaged backgrounds get the opportunities that people with money actually get so um I'd obviously need to find a millionaire. So if you're listening and you want to get involved, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> um, or the second option would be to to be a head coach um, of of a rugby team. Um, that's that's another goal of mine. So once I retire from playing, I'll uh, follow that pathway as
0: well. Because you see that a bit in the men's game, people, you know people come from disadvantaged backgrounds but there are rugby scholarships that pull them out of it you know i think people like ellis genge you know came from a rough part of bristol now look at him yeah kyle Sinclair is the same i guess that's not there with girls
1: um not as much i think obviously in england probably there's there's a bit more um established pathways they've got hartbury college yeah. i think we're getting there with wales definitely you know the clusters are massively helping. Um, and then I think the next step then is we you know what we do at college level, and I think there are colleges starting to pick up on that 100. I know I know that for sure. Um, but you're right. I think there's there's players now I know playing who are, are sort of openly say, you know, if I if I hadn't have found rugby, I'd be in prison. Um, and there's international players like that in the female game as well as the male game. So you know, it just it literally can save your life and really change the the, the sort of. Um, path that you're going to go down and I just want to facilitate that I want to make it easier um within Wales um so yeah you're right um I'd like to see where that goes
0: (laughs) so if that's your own personal future where where do you see the future of the game going as a whole
1: um as a whole I think you know it's getting there but I I think we're at the cusp now of it turning professional um the standard of playing has gone through the roof in the last five years um And I just think because girls are playing at such a young age now, they're coming through and they're just really naturally talented. Um, So, you know, hopefully the standard will continue to rise, which I think it will. And more unions will sort of jump on board, similar to what England have done and, you know, turn their teams professional. And I guess it's just, you know, I don't know whether you look at the men's game and think, right, is it going to go how they have gone? Or do you see it as a completely different sport? and let it make its own sort of way. Uh, do you look at women's football um, and see where that's gone? You know, there's a lot of different options, yeah. and I think we're at that tipping point now where people are sort of, you know, discussing it. Where is the game going to go? And, you know, I think it's only going to go in positive ways because people love watching it. And and for me, the real um, difference that rugby can sort of give that other sports can't is that it can literally be for all people of all body types and all sort of... Um, you know different you can have people who are really fast on the same team as people who are really strong um people who are really tall on the same team. as you know and not, there's not many sports at an elite level that cater for nearly all body types and I think that's why women's rugby is is going to really push on forwards because what else every other sport that you look at there's a specific sort of athletic build that suits that and it kind of cancels out a lot of other people um so yeah we'll see where it goes
0: talking about that tipping point one of the debates I often see is whether the, the, the women's six nation should have its own sort of separate schedule obviously because at the minute it sort of runs simultaneously with the men's fixtures so if, you know Wales England is is on that weekend so will the women's game but you know there's a lot of talk about whether they should sort of take care of their own fixtures is that something you I think see it, happening
1: that debate is only really pushed forward this year because England, we had a situation Because of England-France being at the start of the campaign, yes, and for the women's game, a lot of people are saying that's the championship decider. Um, But also because in that first weekend, all three games were played within the same two-hour. So if you were a a fan of women's rugby, you physically could not watch... The three games at the same time, unless you had three different screens. That's up. the
0: thing; it, was, it, it felt like one step forward, two step back. were so, all terrestrial TV, weren't they? But they all kicked off. It's like 1, 12, 30 and two one o'clocks, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was. It was all something like that. So I think that's why it's really pushed the debate forward. Um, I know Scrum Queens have suggested starting the tournament, I think either a weekend earlier or a weekend later, and then playing the women's games on the off on the rest weekends or the men's ones. So then you'd have three out of five fixtures on different weekends, but still at the same time. Yeah, And I think there's quite a decent argument for that because, you know, the the buzz and the sort of publicity that the Six Nations as a whole, as a package, generates is huge. And I think it's nice that we're doing things side by side, you know. Um, the fact that we have the captains and coaches launched at the same time and, um, you know, it'd be nice to see more doubleheaders um, from, from all nations. And I think that sort of thing... We, you know, we could really push for. Um, obviously, I'm not at a strategic level, so <laughs> this is just, you know, what what I've sort of read and yeah, what I've seen.
0: It's obviously, Wales have pushed on with the double. That's obviously, was it Italy to begin with? 2018, wasn't it? That was yep. That was a Sunday game, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I can't remember. What, that's a very good memory. If you've remembered that,
0: I think I was. I remember the game because I, I was. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was doing the live blog. Mother, mother, it was Mother Sunday. I remember uh, that. Yeah, I remember yes. having a, yeah having a feature in, and I remember some of the players. By their daughters, and then obviously the Barbar's last November.
1: That was really game changing for us. I think yeah. the Barbar's game, um, obviously historic first time sort of um, that we that the women, the Wales women have played you know the Barbar's. Um, it was obviously Gatland's first game in charge of, a, of another team yeah. that wasn't Wales. Um, but most importantly, I think it was um, the fact that, I, and I know it sounds like something so small, but just the fact that they released the teams joint so i don't know if you remember but the but they put the the graphics was the graphics they put so for example you know whoever's playing 15 they put the female name and then the male name right underneath it and i think the fact that and then on um instagram they released they released the squad and you had your pictures side by side male female and for me that was game changing because no other nation that i've seen of have, have done it like that before and it really you know um just sent a really nice little message out, and and I'd and I'd hope you know that we'll see more of that in the future, definitely.
0: No, oh, no, I I, I slip my mind that. Like I, I remember that being, yeah, that was massive at the time. Yeah, how, it was really really was. good for us. Um, there are obviously still a few sort of niggles. Um, there's no tournament prize money, um, and sponsorship for the Six Nations isn't there. Um, that's obviously far from ideal, is it?
1: For me, I think, and I know this is going to sound. You know, silly, but the fact that we're talking about it and that people are enraged about it is a real positive. It shows that that people care, and it shows people's expectations now are so much higher than four or five years ago. You know, if if that had come out into the public four or five years ago, no one would even take any notice of it. But the fact that you know people have picked up on it and are now campaigning for it is just brilliant. Um, You know, we need to sell more tickets, hundred percent. So you know, if you're enraged about that, come and watch us play you know that's that's my message to to people is like great, thank you for getting behind us and thank you for you know caring about it, but you can actually physically do something to help us, which is come and watch us play if we can sell more tickets and start packing out stadiums like France do, then we can start talking uh, talking about stuff like that
0: so I think my overriding sort of thing was surprised because there's no you know i, the, I think the men's six nation has probably struggled with sponsorship in recent years obviously r b s and all that you know that they they look to get a cut price deal but Every women's match is on terrestrial TV. So, for a sponsor, that's like the perfect package to, to pick up because, especially in France, where you know you've got companies fighting over it, but every game is there on on terrestrial TV. It's apart from me, England, of course, yeah. England, yeah. Are on
1: so, England's Sky. are on Sky, but I think that's coming up this year. Yeah. But currently, England's are on Sky. So, uh, which is effort when we're traveling and we want to try and watch them. It's like, who's got <laughs> course, a Sky yeah. Go account? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. And I think. I think, honestly, in the next in the next few years and in the last few years, the game is ma- rapidly, li- literally, like taking huge steps forward, and, and people are going to have to work really hard to keep up with it. Um, they have announced haven't they, that they're going to be announcing something at the end of the Six Nations to do with the title's sponsor. Um, so I think we'll have more of an idea then. Um, you know, as players, obviously, we we mm-hmm. just go along and yeah. concentrate Get on, on the what the we're pitch. doing. Yeah.
0: I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. How, how, how do you feel like the game is is moving on in terms of training and and all that and professionalism? Obviously, you're not professional, but um, saw last week um, Chelsea Emma Hayes. They're sort of looking to tailor their training uh, to the players' menstrual cycle, obviously because of research being done, I think, is it ligament damage?
1: Yeah, much more likely to uh, have ACLs and stuff like that. So um, for me, I think that's really, really important. And I think it's something that we as um, players need because it massively affects you. It really, really does. And, you know, I remember going out to Ireland... And, um, we always have a team run the day before, and that happened to be my first day, and I was in unbelievable amounts of pain and I literally couldn't go out and train in the team run and that affects your preparation, so you know it's it literally does affect us and and I think people don't realize, and I think it's great that people are starting to talk about it now um and, and openly acknowledge, actually, female athletes at a, yeah. are at a massive disadvantage because every single month they have to go through this. Um, so the fact that they're tailoring training around it is just brilliant. And I think um, I think people will wait a bit, see how it goes for Chelsea, see if it's successful, and then probably start implementing it themselves, 100%.
0: I think the US women's team did it during the World Cup. But yeah, I think they this, did. Is, this is the first sort of club thing to do it during a domestic season
1: yeah and i think there um there's an app fitter woman something like that yeah Yeah, um which i've actually got and it's brilliant because it just helps you just keep track of it and it gives you little tips like it's sort of right uh, for the next week this is how you're going to be feeling your strength levels are going to be higher but your fatigue is going to be you know going to fatigue quicker and all this stuff that really affects your training is sort of preparing you for and i think it's important because sometimes as athletes we especially as women, we forget that, you know, actually my mood right now or my decrease in strength or however I'm feeling right now could just be because of the time of the month. And it just makes you feel a bit better about things. It's not like, oh my God, I'm losing all my strength. I'm going to be awful athlete. And, you know, you don't have this massive panic about things because you're a bit more in control of it.
0: I suppose that's like doubly so for, for the for the Wales team, for example, who you all work in full time jobs and, and then you've got training on say like a Tuesday and a Thursday night. When when you've got like so little sort of time together training, you know, you, you can't really afford to be
1: off your game. Off your game. <laughs> yeah, no, you do you, you do have to cram things in and I think it's a case of just get it done. So, you know, you might have a really tough day in work, um, and then you've got like an hour, two hours in between or if that, maybe an hour to grab food get dressed, remember all your kit and then you're off to to do your gym session before training and you have meetings, then you have your training. Within that, there'll be fitness, speed training and obviously team skills and t- team structure. So you've got to fit in so much into like a three-hour slot and then you finish, you have food after and then you're home. Well, I'm lucky I'm home sort of nine, half nine. Girls traveling west are home 10, half 10. The girls traveling north oh, yeah. are home at one and then you're up for work again the next day so it's a struggle it is a struggle and I think um, you know we it's just part of being you know where we are at the minute Um, we do have much better nutrition support you know S&C support which makes a huge difference sort of medical support you know we're getting all the stuff around it and I think um, you know all the other stuff to make us sort of professional in terms of our attitude and and how we prepare is there so you know we're having that support which is brilliant um it's just you know how we manage our time isn't it because
0: with with that Chelsea thing I think there was a quote I can't remember the exact quote from Emma Hayes but it was the sentiment was you know I'm a woman working in a game that's still thinking like like it's a man's sport is that sort of the sentiment that you felt before
1: um I think it's really hard to tell when you're in it um, because when you're in it, you're you sort of you know you're just you're you, cracking you, on with you just it. You see it as yeah, a, you're just cracking sport. on with the gym programs and your fitness programs and all that. And I think um, because we've been a minority sport in the past, it's sort of been like, well, you know, this is what worked has worked for rugby players, so this is what we're going to do for you. Um, probably now you'll start to see the standard get higher there'll probably be less competitions between the teams especially the, those ones at the top and then they'll be looking for the edge to make them even better and I think this sort of thing will be that edge you know how do we get the best out of our female athletes rather than out of our athletes Um and yeah I th- I do think that article was game-changing and I'm so glad it's come out and I think it's going to have repercussions not just in the next few months but in years down the line
0: because that, that research has been out for, for, for around for a while, because I, I found myself talking about the other day, because I think, I can't remember how I came up in conversation, but, you know, obviously those, is it the boots, you know, those boots you get with the sort of the sock that's built in?
1: Oh, yeah, you those see, ones, yeah, I think yeah. They're,
0: they're meant to, apparently, also meant to um, be susceptible for more ACL damage. Oh, are they? So I was talking about them, and then I, I mentioned, you know, that I'd seen research a while back that, you know, being on your period, it, you're more likely to su- suffer that. But I was... Surprised up until sort of like last week that you know seeing Emma Hayes talking about it, that not much had has been done, had since. Been done since.
1: I think it's um, a case of so obviously with that with us, obviously you've got so many aspects of the sport to think about yeah, and to squeeze exactly. into, and you know, I think. It's the luxury of a team. I'm yeah. guessing Chelsea are professional, yeah. so I think it's the luxury of having your athlete in all the time and being able to manage yeah, things that, around. It's that extra one percent. It's the it? extra bit, isn't it? I think when you've only got a few nights a week or a weekend, then you can't. You don't really have the luxury of managing it around different times of the month. But you know, I think it's where the sport is going forward. It wouldn't surprise me if individual athletes were already doing it in terms of, um yeah. you know, runners and and gymnasts and stuff like that who have a lot of control over their training as individuals wouldn't surprise me at all if they they'd already been doing it for a while
0: um i remember you did a was it a video with Hanch, s4c yeah last year talking about uh your sexuality yeah um it probably feels like women's rugby is, a, is maybe a more safer space to, to come out compared to maybe men's rugby but has that was that always the case
1: um yeah I think that's probably a decent shout because I don't think you've got any current that I know of current male athletes who who have I think um I can't I've never been part of men's rugby obviously so I, d- <laughs> I can't say what it's like for them I can say what it's like for me and for me it's you know it was it was quite comfortable um uh it took me a while to sort of actually tell my parents uh I don't know why I was just being a massive wimp about it um <laughs> so but you know now that i have i've had literally no issues um the only issues i've probably had is with men on nights out you know they sometimes don't want to i don't know accept it and can't understand (laughs) it you know like that's the that's literally the only thing that i get that could be remotely negative um but apart from that it's all it's all fine and for me personally it's not an issue and it doesn't define who i am um but I, I, I did that um, hunch thing because there were still cases of um, people being discriminated against because of their sexuality, and still cases of people who I know who cannot come up to the, out to, to their parents or who have been kicked out of home because of it. And that all sounds to me like stuff that should have been happening years ago and yeah. shouldn't be happening anymore, but it is still happening. So that's why it was important to me to, to do the video, not because of me personally, but because of sort of helping others. Yeah, stuff yeah. that's still going on. So I guess until it's just completely normal and no one has any issues with it, it's still something that we've got to speak about.
0: Because I don't know if you did, you see the the stuff that came out from Saracens. They did a survey last week. Basically, yeah. it was um this is men's rugby now. I think it was like a over a two week. They they surveyed clubs in their area. Something like sixty nine percent had heard teammates using homophobic language, and forty two percent had admitted to using mm-hmm. it themselves. Which is just that is know, crazy sh- shocking numbers to still be to happening in uh, in this day and age.
1: And that probably gives you maybe a bit of an idea as to why there's no current, as for, from what I know, yeah. me, you know, men players who who have come out because maybe there's still those sort of um, that that culture that undercurrent of you know actually it's acceptable to say stuff like this. Um, you know that I can tell you now it doesn't happen in women's rugby, um, but. The fact that saris are doing i'm guessing they're doing something about it after releasing this research
0: uh i think so i'm not i'm not too sure quite where the research came from itself or or, or what they're going to do with it um and, and having sort of quickly read it a lot of this sort of you know it's none, none of it's malicious homophobic language it's it's probably more sort of meant you know in inverted commas as as banter but that still you know produces an environment that people wouldn't be comfortable coming out with and i guess
1: that's, and that's, that's still
0: something that's not prevalent in women's rugby is it that, that's the
1: that's the problem with banter is like yeah you can look like you're having a laugh but actually someone who maybe if there's a guy there sitting sat in the changing room was really struggling with the sexuality and thinking to to himself right how are yeah. they gonna accept this if he hears that kind of banter there's no way he's gonna come out um and so while it's still a touchy subject for people it you it can't just be dismissed as banter like is you've got to sort of draw the line and say, actually, we need to create a safe environment for people to be who they are.
0: And was that something that you always felt in rugby, that it was always in a safe safe environment?
1: Yeah, I've never had an issue with it personally um, at all. So I think more the issue that I've grown up being aware of is how people's families react to it. So mine, I was really, really lucky. Mine were completely, you know, really supportive and happy for me. Um, but a lot of my friends growing up, didn't have the same reaction um you know I've had people who who's I've had friends whose family wouldn't expect uh, accept their partners and and then that then you know massively affects their life they sort of they can't take their partner home for Christmas or or for birthdays or anything like that and I think if you don't if a family doesn't accept their partner then they don't accept a huge part of who they are as a person and I think that can really affect people and you know that's not just a one I've I've known of a lot of cases of that happening growing up and and still now
0: um yeah so we we talked about um the school of hard knocks and we, we we talked about the barbarians um so I guess we'll talk about the sort of the tricks and flicks that you've, <laughs> you you've put on show yeah uh, with the barbarians <laughs> that uh, little heel over over your head who who was that against that was that USA that was USA wasn't it of course
1: yeah. that was um yeah, that was the first international Barbarians women's match. So I was so lucky and honored Was It, it was involved. you and
0: Jazz involved in that, wasn't it?
1: Me, Jazz and Alicia Butchers. Yep. We went out there. Um, it was a whirlwind of a trip. We were in Colorado and um, the altitude up there was insane. Like you would run, me and Jazz, like we were pretty fit at the time. We'd just come out of the Six Nations. I think it was April time or something run from one edge of the pitch to the other edge and literally have to stop and be out of breath because of the, because of the altitude up there. So, And we didn't have much time to acclimatize. Um, but no, the back heel kick, um, that's something I would never have attempted in a game. Like I hadn't even done it in training in a live situation. Um, just habits, <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: No, I think uh, the the New Zealand Scrum half saw me doing it and she was like, you've got to do it. And I was like, no way. Like I literally hits me in the back of the head half of the time, like 50% of the time I do this. You don't understand. Like my success rate is really low. I am not doing this on one of the biggest stages I've played in. Um, But yeah, I think having her back me gave me the confidence. The coach backed me as well. And I think that's the good thing about, you know, playing with people you don't normally play with. Um, They just like, well, go for it. You know, like just, just give it a go. And that's the, brilliance of barbarian rugby as you're encouraged to play with creativity and flair and i think um after that i came home and i was walking around different schools and there was all these kids not even just kids i work with just all random kids from the school attempting the back heel kick and i think you know if if that just sparks a bit of an interest in rugby for some of them then you know it's it's done its job really isn't it and yeah it's damn that usa uh,
0: scrum half (laughs) <laughs> for getting in a way.
1: What? Like, why was she stood there? Every other time I did it in training, it came off slightly to the left or slightly to the right of my boot. And then I did it in the game and it literally went perfectly in front and there she stood. She told me after the game she knew I was going to do it. I was like, what? How did you know I was going to do a back heel kick? Surely not. But um unless they had a spy watching us train. Oh, that could be it. Could be it. Definitely. <laughs>
0: A top one percent yeah <laughs> it's spicy. yeah um, um obviously as well as 15s you played sevens and that's when we see, tend to see in women's rugby we see a lot more players go between the two co- uh sort of codes yeah codes um than we maybe do in the men's game but it's still you know very much a, a separate sport how, how do you find going between the two of them
1: yeah i think um i absolutely love sevens i really do it's like a game for me, I think. Well, I thought that anyway a few years ago. Now I've like my love for 15s has been, I think, barbarians has actually really reignited my love for 15s as well. But, um, no, I think, um, sevens was brilliant for fitness levels, so you know, it got me to a whole different place, uh, fitness wise, and developed my passing ability, um, and all that sort of thing, and, and tackling in a big space. So it actually can develop your skills for 15s really really well the one thing it doesn't do is sort of you know no one's too impressed when you're running backwards on a 15s pitch (laughs) which you do in sevens. so i think you know um 2017 was the year where we really did mixed it in and we did um i think we did dubai in december with sevens and then we did brisbane in january for sevens and then we flew back and six days later i was starting at 15 against england in the six nations um and and then played a whole Six Nations. And then a week and a half later, we flew to Hong Kong for the World Series qualifiers. And then a week, literally a day after that finished, flew to the Commonwealth to compete in that six days later. So that was a whirlwind of a few months. Um, and I think, whew, I, I mean, the Commonwealth is really one of the pinnacles of my career. Um, you know, it's just such a unique experience and I absolutely loved it. Um, but, you know, it, it's difficult because just obviously the time constraints, time trying to work in between all that, that, that was difficult, but also provided me with some of the best times of my career.
0: Chelsea you talk about the Commonwealth Games and, and, you know, we've had the Olympics. 2016 was the first time rugby had been back and that's, you know, another sort of massive springboard for the women's game as much as the men's game, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the last um, Olympics really exposed Sevens to a whole different audience. And, you know, people who would never have seen rugby before, um... And I think that's why they chose Sevens. Like, it's loads of tries and and loads of drama and stuff like that. So, you know, it's brilliant for the game and the fact that it's in it again next year, um, or this year, sorry. Um, it
0: doesn't feel like this year, does it? It doesn't, you, you does keep, it? keep talking about Tokyo 2020. I know, it doesn't it's going like to come around it's... really
1: quickly. And I think, you know, hopefully we'll have some some Welsh influence there again. You know, Jazz Joyce did awesome in getting selected for the last Olympics. Um, and I think she came back a whole different player from that. You know, she... She really did. Her confidence and her abilities um, were incredible. So if we can have more players exposed to that, then it'd be great.
0: I suppose then. Finally, what 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 have you got left? Um, sort of. What what do you want to target in the rest of your your rugby career?
1: So we've got um, a World Cup in New Zealand uh, in sort of eighteen months' time. So um, for me, you know, Touchwood. If I keep on form and keep injury free, then you know. Hopefully I'd like to aim for that. Um, I think it'll be it's gonna be an incredible World Cup. You know, every World Cup that we've had in the last few in the last decade has just pushed forward massively because of the the um speed with which the women's game is increasing. To have it in New Zealand, I think is gonna be insane. Like I love New Zealand as a country. It's one of my favourite countries. Uh it's like a bigger version of Wales, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um no i think yeah for me that's that's probably what i'll be aiming for you know i love playing in my club at bristol bears um so i'll continue to do that hopefully and yeah just see where that takes me
0: brilliant well uh thanks for being on the pod today Eleanor, and um all the best for the recovery and all the best for the future
1: thank you thanks for having me